Welcome to On the Side with Jackie London, a BS-free podcast where we're talking all things food, nutrition, and wellness to help you build healthier habits that stick. As a registered dietitian, author, journalist, and former clinician turned content creator, I've heard and seen it all. Join me each week as I debunk diet myths, explore the latest wellness trends, and answer all of your pressing listener questions. Plus, we'll hear from a guest who will kick off each interview weekly with a soup-to-nuts rundown and, okay, sometimes analysis of what they're eating, cooking, ordering in, or where they're dining out with tons of delicious ideas, lots of laughs, and plenty of pro tips in between. The one thing I can actually guarantee, I'll serve up tangible, actionable strategies to help you apply the science behind what works to what works best for you. Listeners, welcome back to another episode of On the Side with Jackie London. Today, I am diving headfirst into my personal bread and butter, so to speak. I'm going to talk about trends on the rise in food and nutrition content marketing. It is a content marketing deep dive, my friends. What transparency means, what are some search terms and keywords on TikTok, Google, Reddit, what you need to know about them, what problems are on the rise from creators niching down, and how to platform algorithms perpetuate and honestly promote wellness influencer culture that makes credibility and subject matter expertise increasingly difficult to find. I've also got a quick and fun, I hope, product marketing case study to share with you guys. We're going to look at the health claims of the ever-popular Olipop sparkling tonic beverage versus Kind Bar from Kind Snacks. And I will share my one foolproof way to make sure that you're creating and that you're purchasing as consumers food products that are actually health-promoting while demonstrating longevity, remaining relevant, and above all else, cultivating transparency. So this episode is absolutely for everyone, but it's certainly for both brands and consumers. I have another solo episode that I recorded back in February that I'd love for you guys to check out as well. If you like this one, please leave a five-star rating and a review. And I can't wait to hear what you think. I hope you enjoy this one. I know the solo episode back in February was a popular one, so I hope you love this one even more. Share with me what you think. I am always here for your questions, for your concerns, for your comments, for your follow-up notes, whatever you need at Jacqueline London RD on Instagram. And of course, you can leave a five-star rating and a review. I'd love that right here, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. All right. Enjoy the episode. I'll see you on the other side. All right. So let's talk about some of the trending keywords that are red and sometimes yellow flags. I've got to, I've got to give that little yellow flag out there because sometimes you'll see why some of these can be somewhere in the middle and, and honestly make it that much more confusing, both for those of us individuals who are choosing products to bring home with us, like what's really worth spending money on versus what is actually much more questionable from both the scientific standpoint, but also why is it that certain types of products are suddenly having a moment? Well, I have some thoughts on this, as you might imagine. We are here chatting right now. So I just want to start by sharing a little nugget from an article from Insider that I came across this week. And what's fascinating about the article is that it highlights some of the big gaps between search engines when it comes to food, nutrition, and health, and also highlights why subject matter expertise, like as in subject matter experts in nutrition would be registered dietitians, of course easy for me to say sitting here with my updated CEUs. (laughs) Anyway, I digress. Anyway, this is why I think it's so critical for establishing brand credibility. And I think in a lot of ways, it actually reinforces why subject matter expertise is needed for brand credibility, right? Because it communicates why your food and beverage product is beneficial for consumers, but it also can do something else, which is to both provide that relevance, that much needed relevance that everyone is sort of always seeming to seek, but also relevance has to be balanced with longevity, especially right now, right? Because inflation is only making prices rise even more, which means that the cost of packaging is only going up. And that's a 
big problem for big brands who might say, whoa, I think we might want to make an update to a product this year or in five years, right? Like you can't really do that in, in such a quick turnaround cost effective way, right? Like those things are mutually exclusive here. So to just kind of get into it, this article from Insider was actually reporting on the American Society for Nutrition Conference at which researchers from Baylor College of Medicine and Rice University, I'm going to read this to you now, conducted a search for the hashtag Mediterranean diet on TikTok in August of 2021 and analyzed the first 200 videos that appeared. They found that many of the TikTok videos were health-related but misleading in terms of what the Mediterranean diet actually includes, incorrectly featured featuring foods high in red meat, added sugar, and refined carbs. Okay, here's why I think that's really significant. First of all, Mediterranean diet is... It's, it's essentially the gold standard. And I say that both from a science standpoint of there is an innumerable studies on the topic of Mediterranean diet and various health benefits, both for specific conditions and as compared to a variety of other diets, right? Like you'll see clinical trials, Mediterranean diet versus keto diet, Mediterranean diet versus insert any other kind of trendy uh, form of, I would say torture, but... <laughs> I'm not, I wasn't, the, the goal of this little soliloquy wasn't to insult anyone, but, uh, you know, basically Mediterranean versus the control. And what's really interesting about that is there's, there's tons of science that support Mediterranean diet. As a practitioner, it's essentially what I would say I and, and many, most of my colleagues are often looking to help individuals do on an individual level, right? Like depending on where you're working, this is really what dietitians are seeking is helping people adapt and apply the Mediterranean diet to their everyday lifestyle. And what is fascinating about it is that it, it remains this very science-heavy, very well-established and credible diet and lifestyle approach, right, for both health outcomes and for weight management, but it also remains the number one top Google search term every January. Every year there's that, you know, always that kind of look to what are we talking about in January with the sort of media marketing cycle that happens, new year, new me, and all of that stuff. Like it is consistently year over year the number one top searched intervention for weight loss, intervention for diabetes, intervention for heart health. It, it is both properly searched by users of the Google <laughs> and also properly searched by those of us who are who are seeking this more holistic and considered to have more credibility. If we're looking for those interventions, Mediterranean seems to always come to the top. It's really fascinating that that seems to be year over year and certainly since 2018, 2019 rather. And it's been consistent year over year. I'm sure that it's been consistent year over year before that, but that's the last time I had, I was, you know, making a mental note to consistently check these things, um, Google search terms. So looking at that year over year consistently, number one, I think that's pretty powerful because because so much of what's happening and certainly so much of what's happening in brand marketing is looking to TikTok for generating leads, for generating new business, for looking at what what are people talking about right now? What are consumers talking about right now? And I think there's that that pretty big gap between what's happening on some of these platforms that are gated by their own platform algorithm, right? And what's happening on Google and what types of articles will pop up when you do a search for the Mediterranean diet. Having worked in media, I can say that we, of course, would essentially start prepping anywhere around November to update any type of these like top searched diet interventions and make sure that we had up-to-date and credible and well-sourced information that was available basically early November. You know, anything after that was kind of too late <laughs> for missing the moment, which is crazy to think about because people aren't really searching for these things before Thanksgiving, but they start to thereafter. So I think that's noteworthy because it shows this discrepancy between the different search engines that you're using to find a variety of different information, whether you're a consumer or a brand, you're always going to be limited to the places where you're looking to seek out information and to seek out credible information. I also haven't really noticed very much on, on Mediterranean diet, although I have not done my own personal deep dive, which usually includes like some form of falling down a rabbit hole. It's like a full Alice in Wonderland dietitian style. I mean, 
it's a it's a scary place. It's a scary place. But I think it's something to look at because it it shows both opportunity for for dietitians, for practitioners, for cardiologists, for any, anyone that works in the area of prevention and preventative medicine is to start making this more relevant. I certainly plan to as a content creator myself, but I also think it shows us something a little bit more nuanced, which is you know, something that creators are told constantly from, you know, this content marketing coach or, you know, Instagram coach or TikTok coach or whatever is this kind of new area of helping creators grow and amplify their own personal brands. There is this constant phrase, niche down. What does that mean? What does that mean for the lay person? I barely know what it means, so I'm going to do my best at explaining it to you. But basically, niche down, meaning that if if you are a registered dietitian, <laughs> for example, then you are technically, your training is as a true generalist, but also about a specific thing, which is food and nutrition and human anatomy and physiology right? So like there's many things that go into nutrition science, which is why from a marketing standpoint, it is often hard to market our own skills. From someone who is starting from the ground up, you can say quite easily gut health expert, right? And if you are going to talk only about gut health, well, who are you? You really should be a nutrition expert, right? Or you should be a gastroenterologist, But instead, we're seeing all kinds of different self-proclaimed experts in different areas of expertise, uh, you know, sort of across the spectrum, right? And it's the same thing, like, I see this with, um, it used to be like you could say women's health expert, but now you have to, the only way to grow is to say fertility expert. So it's really kind of sick when you think about it. Like, now that I say that out loud, that's really upsetting, right? Like, you don't really, like, the idea of the misinformation being kind of pervasive is a little bit frightening. But, like, I think, you know, for individuals, for consumers, for for the everyday human being in the world, that just means we got to fact check everything, right? Like, it means that do not take information. And I don't think anyone is really doing this in a, in a more substantive way, but I know that some concerns have come up Um over the past couple of years about seeing something on TikTok or Instagram even, or or even on Twitter and thinking, you know, maybe I should try that or things that go viral and then there being some adverse health outcomes. But I think we do take some of this information with a grain of salt. And what I do like about it is that it's always a conversation starter with your physician, with your dietitian, with your gastroenterologist or health practitioner of any kind, right? Like as long as you are working with someone on an individualized basis and making sure that you're making the purchasing decisions or food choices that are really serving you and your values and your needs and your current life stage, then I I feel good about it. But it can be a conversation opener. Don't let it be gospel. I think that's probably the, the thesis statement that I would say right there. All right. So what are some other examples of this? The other one I'm seeing everywhere is this word toxic, toxic ingredients. That's another one that seems to have some degree of virality, if you will, on some of these platforms. The hateful eight is one that literally makes me lose my mind mildly. I think I went brain dead for just a second, that is speaking to apparently the pro-inflammatory nature of plant-based cooking oils like canola oil, corn oil. This is nonsense. This is literally, this is like, it, it feels like when I saw some of these videos pop up, I thought this is like opposite day every day. It's like, we're just pretending that the thing that's true is not true now. So like we just do that. We're just gaslighting people. I mean, honestly, like it really is totally, it's totally insane. There's so much research that supports the use of canola oil the use of corn oil, the use of other types of seed oils and reducing risk of cardiovascular disease, of other types of chronic health conditions, of of um, helping to create an overall anti-inflammatory dietary profile, let's say, um, especially when used as a cooking oil, because what are you cooking? Like if you're cooking something at home in an oil, you're automatically doing something that's probably much more nutritious than something made with vegetable shortening, for example, <laughs> or like partially hydrogenated oils, which have been outlawed from, they've been banned from the food supply since 2017, but I digress. Okay. The point being toxic ingredients, not a thing, but just something to look out for. I want to go back to this idea of subject matter expert. Anyone can be an expert. You just have to say that you're a hormone expert 
you help people balance their hormones. You help people with their adrenal fatigue, seed cycling. You help people with cortisol. Like anyone talking about cortisol seems to be blowing up. This is one to truly boggle the mind. I'm, this one is the, the thing that I think is the most insidious about things like this, right? Is that they're tapping into biological plausibility by speaking about these topics, right? So when you, when you are hearing some of these like little sound bites that work for a 60 second video or work for a 30 second video, right? You're hearing these sound bites of information from people who may have read one study that was performed in mice, there's no sense of the the gravity and the implication and the breadth of available peer-reviewed literature that's out there when making certain claims. I would see this all the time a couple of years ago on the topic of celery juice, right? Like in this guy, the medical medium who really kicked this one off for us. Thank you, sir. I mean, honestly, for fuck's sake. Okay. So there, there's this very minimal research on the impact of both compounds found in celery and also how much fucking celery you would have to eat to reap the benefits of those compounds, how much celery you'd have to juice rather. (laughs) And also it does kind of cause some GI side effects for people. So I think that's probably something to consider, maybe a little bit more of a Freudian topic right there, but like the idea of people drinking their celery juice and then saying, I need someone to help me support my own gut health is its own existential crisis unto itself. All right. So definitely seeing a lot of that and and feel like that's that's a major red flag. I don't, I'm not ascribing to the seed cycling. I've basically found one study on that topic and I haven't seen one since then. That was back in 2020. I have literally not seen one since then. Yes, Hormone balance is critical. If you are listening to this and you are wondering what does it mean, like what what does all of that, you know, cortisol talk really mean? Cortisol is a stress hormone. And yes, all of us are stressed. So it is certainly a possibility that that your cortisol levels are elevated. But the the bigger problems are more focusing on the things that we can control that would help us keep ourselves feeling a little bit more like ourselves, <laughs> right? So rather than focusing on the cortisol or focusing on the stress level itself, what actually would help you feel a little bit more like yourself? And that's where I come back to the things that are really within our power to control, which is like eating consistently. Because one thing that is absolutely true is your GI hormones your pancreatic hormones. I I mean, a whole variety of hormones that affect your body's own natural state of homeostasis, like the state of balance in your body is affected by prolonged periods of not eating. It's also affected by not eating enough at your meals and snacks. And it's also affected by how physically active you are and how much you sleep at night, right? So like these are really tangible things that we sort of like refuse because we want the quick fix, right? Like the thing that's just gonna help us, oh, if I take this supplement, it's gonna help get, help me get my cortisol levels under control. That's not a thing. I can confidently tell you that's not a thing. Okay, moving on. Another thing I'm seeing a lot of right now also and ones to look out for are 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 really like these challenges, like 75 hard challenge, the internal shower, which literally started on a podcast that drives me insane. That makes me feel like sitting down and just crying right now (laughs) because the internal shower, for those who are unfamiliar, it is water, chia seeds, and lemon juice. You mix this in a glass and then you chug it down so that you can presumably do some kind of hospital grade level of bowel prep for yourself. I mean, the idea that this is what we're doing now, like we're accepting the idea that we have mild IBS, right? Like the, the most of us probably have, because we're anxious more and more and an, at an increased you know rate and about new and different things all the time, right? We find that people experience constipation and diarrhea as a result of of stress, right? Like of lifestyle, of just being a person in 2022. I mean, we've had a rough go of it, you guys. <laughs> I don't think it's so groundbreaking for us to just kind of take that into account. What we see is that, you know, like these very normal and very, com- and by normal, I mean like also very common symptoms of IBS, like irregular bowel movements, like the diarrhea, the constipation, the nausea, the feeling bloated, the, you know, like what, what this idea that we should be suspect of what's in our food, a lot of that 
that that kind of secondary effect where that's coming from is this idea that there is like something wrong with you that you're not doing right. But you may or may not be eating consistently right now. You may or may not be eating real whole foods right now. You may or may not be getting enough sleep at night or exercising enough. And by exercising enough, I mean moving your tushy more often, right? So in whatever capacity you can find a routine, something that is consistent, I think these these trends are flashes in the pan and they are not going to ever be here to stay because the idea of you wanting to literally, and excuse my French, but shit your brains out as a result of drinking chia seeds rather than like eating oatmeal and adding some fucking chia seeds to it is honestly bonkers. Like the idea that this is like a magic tonic or elixir, if only I could have worked for someone like Navita's Naturals when internal shower like really blew up on the internet. I just feel like this is where we've really lost touch with how we're physically feeling, <laughs> both both physically and definitely, definitely psychologically, right? I mean, like, what is going on? Okay. Another one of these to keep an eye on, and it's kind of hormone expert, hormone balancing expert related, is adaptogenic compounds, adaptogens, all of that. That drives me a little nuts too, because I see this a lot coming up in the form of supplements and supplement powders. There's really very limited research in this area, and there's very little promising research, if any at all, in humans. Honestly, I've the one study that I saw on ashwagandha in particular was done, I think, in goats. Might have been sheep something like that. I mean, the sheep that need their cortisol managed are meditating on a lotus leaf right now doing, you know, that, what is it? The goat yoga. They're out with Lisa Rinna in Beverly Hills doing goat yoga. And that sounds phenomenal for them. But most of us don't have access to the goat yoga or the ashwagandha or the adaptogenic compound. So I think it's like, it's really something to just keep in mind. Anything can be adaptogenic to your body's conditions or to helping you feel more like how you want to feel, more like yourself, more energized, more calm, more rested, more like clear about what you're thinking about and less overwhelmed, right? Like all of those things, they can't be achieved with taking a supplement or taking a powder in your smoothie. They can though be achieved over time through consistent consumption of nutrient-dense foods. So like I, I... posted this on Instagram and I gave this example of like, so rather than thinking about these powders and buying up all the powders that you can at like, you know, from some direct to consumer marketing effort that's been geo-targeting you for eight years, like what if you made vegetables and roasted them with the spices that you actually like? Because that, you know, like in the same way as you'll hear marketing claims like plant-based root or like ashwagandha root or lion's mane or reishi or any of these other things that were formerly foods. Like that was formerly a food. Like you could have eaten that mushroom. That poor little mushroom got ground up and made into powder. And I feel sad for that mushroom, you know? Um, Rather than doing that, what if you used herbs and spices and use those on the food that you eat? I mean, it's really that simple. I know it sounds like it should be more complicated and like that couldn't possibly be it, but it's not. (laughs) Especially when you consider the fact that that there is very real research in humans on things like ginger root, right? Ginger being a great spice to cook with. Why not? Garlic. Garlic onions. Those are also considered, by the way, if I may just kind of cross-contaminate myself here, those are also alliums, garlic, onions, shallots, leeks. Those are also considered to be gut-friendly foods, right? They're prebiotic foods. So you're cooking with something with these spices that are filled with antioxidants that have some other properties that may be beneficial for what your body needs. And they also help you eat more vegetables if you like the taste of them. And they can help those vegetables to use the antioxidants and fiber that's also in there to presumably help your body do what it needs to do. So I think from a pure, um, just kind of consumer alert standpoint, I just want to say, eat your vegetables, season to taste, stop buying stupid powders. And and please, if you're listening to this as a brand, stop selling stupid powders. I, I really like, there's just, I'm coming for you. I also want to say something else that's kind of adjacent to this and on this topic, which is that you know, there was this big conversation at the beginning of the year about kind of what is disinformation. And we continue to have this this conversation rather on a kind of national 
platform, essentially, at this moment in time, right? Like, we continue to see this word everywhere, disinformation, misinformation. What does that mean? What does that mean in health? Well, you know, something that really rubbed me the wrong way about this conversation is that those of us who work in this field, in the nutrition science field, and I'm sure there are so many other examples that are just not popping up to the front of my brain right now, but the, but this being a perfectly good example, <laughs> is that there are many case studies that you'll find or stumble on in peer-reviewed journals that are like a one-off kind of post-mortem of a toxicity report of someone who who is now deceased that where there is literature about liver toxicity from taking a dietary supplement incorrectly. It could be from taking the dietary supplement incorrectly, as in taking too much, taking more than than is recommended on the product's label. It could be from contamination of the product by a toxic metal in higher doses than what we allowed in the than what we allow in the food supply, like lead. Um, or it could be because um, because simply the ingredients listed on the product are not actually the ingredients of what's in the supplement. And the reason for that is because dietary supplements are not overseen by the FDA. So warts and all, I am not the world's greatest champ of the FDA, particularly at this moment, but they do do a job and they they do have to get that job done. So when you're going through a traditional retailer for a food product, that product, you have to be over, your your product inevitably will be overseen by the FDA and it will be evaluated for safety and efficacy, whereas supplements do not have that, meaning that anything could be in there. You don't know where those ingredients are coming from, even when a manufacturer tells you, I promise that means nothing because often sometimes the manufacturer doesn't even know if they're sourcing from somewhere that is unknown to them right? So that's something really big to think about is I don't mean to scare anybody or be alarmist when I say that, but I have come across that, right? There are things in a lot of these, particularly things that come in powdered form and certainly in pill form too. I mean, I've, I've seen a number of like basically what could possibly be in this other than hot air, because this is not an actual thing. We were just talking about that on the, on the Nick Davis episode, a couple episodes back. I think it's just, it's just something to think about is like, to what extent do you want to continue to buy into the idea that you just need one sort of magic pill? Or to what extent would you feel a little bit more comfortable buying the food that you know you like to eat and seasoning it with the things that you know make it taste even better to you, right? I think that that's like really the big question because ultimately, let's get back to the gold standard, the Mediterranean diet. (laughs) Ultimately, there's no powder, there's no reishi on the Mediterranean diet plan that wasn't included in the meta-analyses about, you know, Mediterranean diet and reducing risk of type 2 diabetes. I mean, seriously, you guys. Okay. The last thing I would say is that I, and I probably talk about this in some way every single time, but clean ingredients are also not a thing. The clean loophole has got to be put down. (laughs) It's got to be just put away. I think this is where, you know, you really have an opportunity to tell a different story if you're a brand rather than buying into the idea of clean. Or if you want to have that on your product's label, I say, good on you. It's a free country, right? Like fine with me, but leading with clean from a marketing standpoint is now both saturated, but it's also become another sort of diet culture meme unto itself, right? The idea is that if you're not clean, if you're not eating clean or buying clean food, then you are dirty, then you are, you know, slovenly, like then you can't take care of yourself, then you're unhygienic. And that is just a way of telling you you're not good enough right now. You have to level up. You have to do better. You have to be someone who you're not right now in order to eat this product. I think over time we'll find this to be alienating. I know it's still driving sales at this moment in time. I know that it's still sexy to brand marketers, I, but I think it's really something that needs to be completely overhauled and reevaluated, especially considering that like, look what happened to something like no additives, no added sugar, no added colors or artificial sweeteners, right? Like that had its peak in 2015, and it's been on the decline ever since then because consumers don't understand that to be impactful anymore, as they shouldn't, because 
No artificial sweeteners, no artificial colors. Those are meaningless things from a scientific standpoint. Okay. So I just want to kind of bring this all to its meaningful little close right now and just share a little example of something that caught my attention, which is that like, just to give a little case study here, two different brands in the sort of like, quote unquote, healthy food space. One is Olipop and it is a, I'm staring at a can of Olipop right now. It's a beverage. If you have not heard of it, or if you're not familiar, it calls itself a sparkling tonic, which right there makes me upset because I don't know what that means. Like what is a sparkling tonic versus a sparkling water? Well, I'll tell you, I learned quickly. (laughs) Olipop marketing claims on the front of the packaging. I'm just going to read them to you. Okay. There's no editorializing here. Supports digestive health, prebiotics, botanicals, plant fiber. And then there's this little seal on the front that says plant powered microbiome approved. Okay. If you are listening to this right now and you're a consumer and you think that that is a real seal of any type or that's attached to like any credible program, it does not. It just, it doesn't. (laughs) Second, I just want to share this little statement that's also on the back of the can. We've spent years crafting a drink that's as good for your digestion as it is delicious. Olipop combines the benefits of prebiotics, plant fiber, and botanicals in a sparkling tonic that supports your microbiome and benefits digestive health. Our ginger lemon combines a kick of real ginger juice with sweet mulling spices and a pop of crisp lemon. As you can see, you guys, I'm I'm holding the ginger lemon can right now. Ginger, a natural digestive root, can help soothe the stomach and increase blood flow. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's actually true of ginger and of the gingerol compound. That very last statement is true. What is not true is the gigantic, like what's not being said here is this gigantic leap between what's actually the ingredients in the can and the claims that are being made about the product. So for example, supports gut health. This is absolutely true of plant fiber in general. That is a source of prebiotics. The more veggies and fruit you eat, the more prebiotics are included in your diet. That is also true if you're consuming a variety of 100% whole grains of nuts and seeds. All of those foods, things that come from plants are going to have plant fiber. (laughs) And they're also going to naturally be a source of prebiotics, right? The ingredients listed in this product are purified water, ginger juice, Oli Smart, and Oli Smart, then parentheses, chicory root, Jerusalem artichoke, kudzu root, cassava fiber, cassava syrup, marshmallow root, slippery elm bark, nopal cactus, calendula flower. Okay. And then there's a few more that are mildly more pronounceable, like apple juice, lemon juice, cassia, I don't know what that is. What's cassia? Anyone know? Call me. Cinnamon, stevia, pink rock salt, ginger essence, mold spice flavor extract. Okay, wonderful. My point being that Oli Smart is clearly a proprietary blend and it's a synthetically created plant fiber mix that can somehow get into a can of fucking tonic, a can of sparkling water that now became a tonic because you probably can't call it sparkling water if you have that much fiber. There are nine grams of fiber in a can. I drank one of these and I was extremely thirsty after having a can of Olipop, but that was before the GI symptoms started for me. But I was so parched. And I just thought like, how strange is that? Like I just had a drink. Like how could I suddenly be so thirsty? Maybe just because I'm talking a lot today, whatever it was. Okay. I, I was suffering for 48 hours, literally. And I'm not someone who doesn't eat fiber, right? This isn't like me working my fiber muscles. No, this is because synthetically created fiber, synthetic fibers in the form of sugar alcohols, and those sugar alcohols are not the kind that come naturally from fruit, from veggies, from beans, from lentils, right? They're the kind that come from a plant, they're extracted and used in food manufacturing processes. These do not have a gut health supporting benefit, or at least we don't have the research to say that they do. They may, but we don't know that yet, 
right? So when we look at these synthetic sources of fiber and we make a claim like supports gut health, that feels like a huge leap to me. I I don't know where exactly the FDA stands on labeling of claims like that, although I'd imagine they have yet to weigh in on something like that. But I do want to say that I, I think that whole presentation and that whole marketing is about to be a rabbit hole that the entire food industry is going to fall down, which is that if we continue to do things like that, we just take a huge leap from something that could be beneficial for you when consumed in real whole food form and turn it into a health claim, supports gut health, that's the claim. That's a big leap. And also because you can't prove something like that, it is actually, and now I'm talking myself into this, it's unlikely that the FDA will weigh into that because it's going to be tough to prove, right? It may support gut health. Like what is, it's very vague. No one can tell you what exactly that means because it's different for every individual, right? So I'm not trying to knock that product, but I just want to, I just want to essentially say that like, please proceed with caution. Number one, if you want to try this product, go for it. But I, I personally found it to be, a cause of a lot of GI trouble for me. I would also say that synthetic fibers in general can be caused for GI troubles that are not for the greater good. They're not for getting your gut health to somewhere great. Like it's, it's just for short-term torture. So I feel like avoid those if you feel like you're sensitive to them. They do add up throughout the day and therefore you may not feel it right away, but you might feel it later on once you've had like another one or, a, you know, a bar or a yogurt, honestly, because these different types of sugars can sometimes create that effect when they're consumed together. Okay. I'm getting off track. But the third thing I want to say is that when I compare something like Olipop to, um, to something else that I want to share with you guys, which is kind bar. Okay. I have loved kind for forever. They are a phenomenal brand with phenomenal products. And I think that really can't be taken away from any brand these days, right? Like both great branding and great products. But I just want to I just want to share this one health claim that is made in Kind Bars in it's one of their bars and I'm just going to get I'm just going to make sure that I quote this the right way, the salted caramel dark chocolate nut bar. I don't think this is the only one that has this health claim, but it's one that I purchased recently. So it's the salted caramel dark chocolate nut bar. And the health claim that's being used on the front of packaging right there is number one ingredient is heart healthy peanuts. That is fucking brilliant. First of all, uh, here's why I think it's brilliant. Okay. Number one, you just did a solid by way of the peanut who always needs help with marketing for whatever reason that has been like, you know, somehow perpetuated by media myths and claims over the years that that there's like a concern for food allergies when there may be, but for most children, there is no, we've already, you know, covered this topic in great detail. If you are curious or wondering what I'm talking about, I would go back to the episode with Sherry Collins great episode talking all about who is actually at risk for peanut allergies. But the point is that peanuts are a really nutritious food. They are also a less expensive food compared to other tree nuts, right? They're always going to be a lower cost food because they require less water to produce. So right there, doing a solid for the American consumer by saying number one heart healthy ingredient is peanuts. Number two, you just told the consumer what your first ingredient is without having them flip over to the other side of the package, right? So you already identified yourself as a better for you and and more cost-efficient product to purchase, right? So you've already identified yourself as both more affordable, health-promoting, and made with, and that your first ingredient is peanuts. So you already know that by weight, the number one ingredient is a real food, that is critical. That's critical in any food product. All food products should have a real food as the first ingredient. Listen, there's of course going to be exceptions to this. I'm not, I'm not trying to make this like categorical statement. I'm saying that my framework when making recommendations to clients, when I've written about this, when I've spoken about this before is to look for a real food as the first ingredient, because it's a great filter for knowing what products might be satisfying and nutritious versus which ones are just kind of garbagey and might make you feel sick, right? So right there, I already know more affordable, more healthful versus other types of bars in the aisle with ingredients that you can't pronounce. Uh, And you can also see 
the product itself, right? Because Kind has that clear, that transparent packaging right up front. I know you can't really do this and keep them super fresh for super long, right? Like I think their shelf life is like six months to a year. So they're not going to last as long as like the science project that is a Quest bar, but they are going to be tasty and delicious and they are, and they certainly have sold off the shelves, right? And you've got that one simple marketing claim that a product like this can actually make. Also, heart-healthy peanuts, that's longevity, my friends. Heart health is not going anywhere, not for Gen Z. It's, we are, we, I mean, listen, look at Haley Bieber and Justin Bieber are suffering like neurological side effects all of a sudden. Like heart health comes for everyone. Okay. Haley Bieber had heart surgery recently. <laughs> heart health comes for everyone. And I think like the older every generation gets, the, the closer you get to understanding mortality in general and what longevity actually looks like and feels like. And therefore products that stay relevant by using terms that we know are rooted in science, but also supported by the FDA. The FDA allows the claim heart healthy peanuts, right? So they're, they're, essentially borrowing from one of their own ingredients to make a health claim, that's a win all around, just from a marketing standpoint, but also from a consumer shopping and consumer retail standpoint, absolutely huge win. I know that it's a little bit like comparing apples and oranges, but I feel like it it's a very good kind of side-by-side of thinking about what good and real and transparent marketing looks like from Kindbar and what a little bit hazy, a little bit roundabout marketing looks like from Olipop. Now, I'm not, again, I just want to reiterate, I'm not saying Olipop is lying to you. I'm not saying it's dishonest. I'm saying it lacks transparency versus the Kindbar. All right. So just to give us all a little bit of like actionable tangible, useful info or like something that we can really sink our teeth into and actually use both right now and, you know, as you think about how you're having conversations about food and health and and the relationship between the two, I think is clearly, you know, we're being confronted with it in the For You page, but we're also getting it at the supermarket. We're also getting it from online grocery retailers. We're getting it everywhere all the time, right? I think there's a couple of these kind of hot spots or sore spots that I see all the time that I just want to clear up real quick. So first of all, I'm going to start with the, you know, ever popular, I'm addicted to sugar. All right. So instead of this, I want to replace that phrase with, with something that's actionable, something that you can do that's also rooted in science and helps you prioritize personal health by making informed choices about the foods that you're eating and the foods that actually are providing you with sugar. All right. So instead of saying I'm addicted to sugar, I want to reframe that thought as I'm going to eat more satisfying meals and snacks more consistently today and see how I feel. Okay. Everyone say it with me. I'm going to eat more satisfying meals and snacks more consistently today and see how I feel. Right. Doesn't that sound empowering? Okay. So I'll tell you why I reframed it that way. How physically full you feel while you eat is directly related to everything else you are eating at one meal, in an hour, in a day, tomorrow. So saying that like we're capable of being addicted to sugar falls really short of acknowledging what humans actually are, right? Like that we eat a wide variety of meals of, of mixed nutrients, or we, we at least should be right with a variety of different types of nutritional value. And all of that contributes to physical feelings of hunger versus satiety and therefore physical feelings of wanting to eat sweet things or not wanting them right? And one of the biggest things that I have seen both in practice and just from my work in media is people assuming that they have this problem with sugar when actually one or all three of these things are happening, right? One of them is consuming sugar from less obvious food sources of sugar, right? Like without knowing that these foods contain sugar, they just add up really quickly. Condiments, sauces, bread products, cereals, crackers, chips, milk, flavored milks, yogurt, protein bars, protein shakes, juices, supplements, powders, all of that, right? Those are sneaky sources of added sugar. So you want to look at food labels when you're choosing something where it's not clear that there's no added sugar in there. Then the second one would be attempting to band-aid a love of sugar with items that are not going to cut it. Like for fuck's sake, no one felt satisfied by eating a banana when they wanted like a bread pudding. Okay. That's just not happening. It's not happening. So that therefore creates this cycle where you try with this band-aid item 
And then you wind up just binging. Like you eat way more than you need of uh, like over the course of a day, or you wind up going for the bread pudding at fucking midnight when you're exhausted and you've just had it with that banana and being told to eat a banana, right? That's just like another version of that gaslighting that we talked about earlier. I feel like that is a, an insidious gaslight in the form of content marketing that I see everywhere. Just like, just try some fruit. No, that's not going to cut it, Brenda. Not doing it. Okay. The third thing is skipping meals. So not eating consistently, right? Especially breakfast. And that's a topic for another day, but not eating consistently, not eating meals that provide a source of carbs, right? That is so often where so many sugar addicted folk are coming from. They're just rolling in in droves saying, I'm so addicted to sugar. And meanwhile, they smell like ketones because they've only had steak for the last, I don't know, seven days, right? Like that's what I'm saying is that we get into this, these periods of extremes where we forget about logic and reason and just pure common sense. You want to have a source of protein and a source of fiber, which comes from carbs at your meals and snacks to feel satisfied and to feel like you're at a place where you can close up your kitchen, feel good about it, right? Because once you're making decisions like food choices from that satisfied place, you start to feel fuller longer. It takes a longer period of time for your body to digest and absorb and metabolize the nutrients in the food that you eat. So your blood sugar rises at a much more steady pace, even when you're within normal limits of blood sugar. And so you feel more energized and more satisfied. You feel less like, oh, I'm full. Like I know my stomach feels full, but I'm still hungry. That's the full not satisfied syndrome. I feel like I talk about that a lot, but like that's another component of it. Having protein and fiber, there's plenty of research that supports that claim. The idea that combining those two nutrients helps you feel more satisfied. And there's also plenty of just pure practical application that consistency helps you stay in better touch with how physically hungry versus satisfied you feel. So the more you're willing to actually practice making more satisfying meals and snacks as a part of your day, the less likely you are to assume that you are addicted to sugar. Sugar addiction, not a thing. All right, moving on. Isn't this fun? Okay. So another one we've talked about before are like the shoulds, the I should, and I can't. And this one is really for consumers, for individuals, for people who have spent too much time on TikTok today and feel like they should be doing something that they're not currently doing right now. No. Instead, we're going to start saying, I choose to. And the reason why I change it to that is because if you live in Maine and you wake up in the morning saying, I'm going to Nepal to climb Mount Everest by the afternoon, you're not. You're not saying that because you can't get to Nepal that fast, right? I mean, honestly. So that's a perfect example of, you know, these ways that we tell ourselves we should be doing something, but we haven't taken any of the necessary steps along the way to help get ourselves closer to a specific goal or something that we would like to do or a way that we would like to feel. The only way to get to feeling a specific way, feeling good, feeling like we're in good health is to practice and we don't, it just doesn't happen overnight. Nothing good ever does. I know that sucks, but it's true. All right. Instead of calories, this is another one. Instead of calories, we're going with energy. And you guys know this one already. This is science. Calories are units of measure for energy. And I think that's an important one because I think we need a little calorie rebrand. We need to bring back the transparency around calories. I don't think it's like, it's like all of a sudden, all of these food companies were like, we can't talk about calories. We got to talk about gut health. And now we have a confused, like an even more confused population that's popping up all over the for you page. <laughs> They're everywhere on every social media platform. They're truly, by the way, I've been picking on TikTok on this episode, but they are seriously, there are creatures all over. And by creatures, I mean human beings. I mean, I'm considering myself a creature in this. I am definitely a creature lurking in the background on Reddit where there is so much conversation happening about and around food. And literally everyone is suffering from these gut health problems because they're not eating food or they're buying up the supplements, the gut health supplements. And then they're like, God, my skin, it looks like it's turning yellow. Well, because you are now jaundiced because you're in liver failure. Like, honestly, it's really great. What's happening on Reddit, just take a moment if you're a dietitian and listening to this podcast right now, take a moment and just type nutrition into the search engine on Reddit and experience just brain explosion, full on brain dead, just for a second. Okay. 
Let me get back to my point here, which is that I think that considering calories as a unit of measure for energy is it's the gold standard. It's the only thing we have. It's something we know and we can hang on to. And that's really key, especially right now, especially as we see what's going on with the economy and the world. And we feel like a lot of stuff is not in our control. Looking at things that are in our control, we know that calories are, are the unit of measure for energy. We know that they give us the energy we need to do the other things in our life we want to do besides eat, right? Like there's lots to our lives that have nothing to do with food, but we want to also power those experiences with the energy that we need. I think that's critical for brands to remember. And keep in mind, don't be afraid by the diet culture mafia online. It's time to take back the calorie. (laughs) We need to know what it is. That doesn't mean we need to be obsessed with it. There's a hugely fine line. I think what's happening by nature of making gut health or brain health or hormone balancing the focus is that we're just tricking people into buying into an idea that is sold to us in a complete package by diet culture and the diet industry. I think instead, better to be transparent about it. You want to talk calories? Talk about calories. They're a real thing. Let's not talk about these fake things like supporting gut health when we are not speaking from an evidence-based practice place right? Like we want to speak from the most informed combination of in research and practice at all times. And therefore we want to provide the guidance that really supports more people in taking those steps. So something to think about. All right. The cheat day is having a renaissance on some social media platforms. So let me, let me just tell you right now, let's make some value-free food choices the goal in 2022 and beyond. There's no such thing as cheating. This is not a test. This is your life. This is your supermarket shopping experience. You're not cheating by getting a chocolate bar, Charlotte. Okay. Right. Like it's, it's, this is life. Like we're making choices that support our overall greater goals, your grocery cart, your dining out experience, your uh, approach to how you want to make more meals and snacks at home. All of that can be reflected through what you choose to consume and how you choose to approach even content consumption, right? There's no cheating here. There's just taking the information that you have and making the best choice for your personal feelings, goals, life stage, your family, your needs, right? Like let's get back to the basics. We bring it back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs here. There's no cheating, just eat. Okay. Instead of clean I don't want to see clean anymore. We've already, I already beat that drum over and over again. I can't even speak anymore. All right. Instead of the ch- the clean, good food, super food, it's another one that's having its own little mind-numbing renaissance. Let's just call that, that what it is, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. Let's call it by its name. That's going to be the title of this episode. Call food by its name, food. All right. There's no value here. Let's get rid of that. You already heard from me about the hateful eight bullshit, toxic detox, bad for you. I would say if we had to reframe that differently, it is eat more real whole foods more often. And I think in general, you guys already know this. Certainly if you're listeners of this podcast for a while, you know that I think that when it comes to making food choices that support a greater public health goal and personal individualized goal, considering what we can do more both on an individual level and how we as a as practitioners or as brands can help other people take real action in their lives considering what you can do more of more produce more often more movement more often those are all things that help flip and change the narrative on making people feel more empowered and more like they can actually take charge of their personal health and well-being and therefore take charge of their own lives. We're here to empower people. All right. Replacing the buzzwords with more effective terminology. You guys know how I feel about this. I think the vocabulary really matters. I'm not here to word police or thought police anyone. I'm just here to give us a little bit of a reframe to consider a few of these language tweaks that can help us feel a little bit more empowered. All right, so let me go ahead and recap those really quick. Instead of eliminate, cutting back, restricting, moderation, portion control, consider where you can do more. When it comes to veggies and fruit, bottom line is that more is more. Eat more of those foods. And no matter what you're doing, you are taking steps toward weight management and overall health promotion 
at large, right? Reducing risk of chronic disease. Okay. Instead of the hateful eight, toxic, detox, bad for you, consider how you can eat more real whole foods. Look for the first ingredient on a packaged food to be a real whole food. Thank you, Kind Bars. Okay. Instead of clean or good food or superfood or detox juice or cleanse, consider calling food by its name. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, dessert, YOLO, cocktail hour. That's a that's its own food category I enjoy. Aperitivo hour. <laughs> okay. Instead of cheat, just eat the fuck. I mean, eat food. You're a person in the world. You make balanced choices over time. Your overall health and well-being is in, in no small part a product of what you do most of the time. One ice cream sundae, Tabitha, that's not going to do anything to change the number on the scale or to set you back somehow in your health-related goals, right? It's always about what you do more often and how you can start establishing new routines, habits that really help, that are, are aligned to your personal goals and your personal well-being, and how you can continue to do that more often in a way that's truly sustainable for you. All right. Calories are energy and they need no editorializing. <laughs> and they're certainly better than supports fucking gut health. Excuse my language. Okay. Instead of should and can't, think about where you could choose to make the choices, to do the things that you want to do, to prioritize the things that you truly want and need and that, that give you joy and, and honestly life <laughs> and, and not feel like you're being boundary bullied into making food choices that don't work for you. And of course, instead of I'm addicted to think about how you can set yourself up to not have that thought again, which is I'm going to eat more satisfying meals and snacks more consistently. Again, not a thought policing exercise, not a, a free speech sanction here. I'm not here to do that. I'm a huge proponent of speaking your truth, of course, but I think it's really important to consider how the words that we use about and around food inform how we make our, well, ultimately how we make food choices. So just something to consider. Chew on that. Okay. So the last thing I want to just quickly flag, and this is really more for brands and it is also for listeners because of course I think it's worth mentioning, especially since there's certainly some overlap between, or there has to be some overlap between people who are interested in podcasts like mine or people who are listening to this content or consuming any of my content anywhere. I just want to say a word <laughs> about this very recent and rather late in the game product recall from Daily Harvest, which you may or may not have heard about. And that concerns me that you may not have heard about it. So two products from Daily Harvest were recalled recently, and it was a result. It's because of the social media conversation that was happening about one of the products, or actually it wound up being these two products that were recalled. So essentially there, a conversation bubbled up on Reddit. Someone had posted something on Reddit saying that they too had uh, severe gastrointestinal symptoms after consuming one of the, or these two daily harvest products. And they pointed to someone else who had mentioned it on TikTok in a video this also may have gone in the reverse direction. I actually think it was the other way. Someone on TikTok said they found something on Reddit that was like, oh, I'm having these symptoms. This is how social media works. They're all networks. <laughs> and then I get confused going back and forth between the two. All right. So just to, just to clarify, there was a product recall, two products from the venture capital backed Daily Harvest. They're best known for their smoothies, their frozen smoothie product. They have expanded the product line. And I think these two products, one of them contained lentils and leeks, and the other one was um, walnut and thyme. I would say that if you have any concerns about this, to definitely alert the company about the products. They certainly, I've heard them on other podcasts. I know they do podcast advertising. I'm not trying to alienate people entirely, but so be it. I think the way that this was handled is somewhat appalling. And I say that because I just spent the better part of an hour talking to you about transparency being the number one thing that is the most, the most important thing anywhere for any food product, food company, beverage company, for health 
related marketing claims for creating a product that is clearly meant to virtue signal as far as health and well-being is concerned, right? Daily Harvest was sort of seen as the pinnacle of that. I want to say that they, I'm not going to try and spread rumors here, but I think they might have been a unicorn. I think they might have achieved unicorn status. But regardless, I, I think it is the perfect example of something that was a major miss from supporting the customers that have been buying the product. So because Daily Harvest is a meal delivery service and it's not purchased at the supermarket, right? People were getting these products shipped directly to their homes. And and as a meal delivery service, you really have a much more intimate relationship with your customer. I feel like it's a little bit of a betrayal to have to go onto social media platforms to see if anyone else is feeling the gastrointestinal symptoms that you're feeling, especially when you're feeling sick and you don't know why, and no one can tell you why. So the fallout of this for anyone unfamiliar with the story is that essentially a number of people had these gastrointestinal symptoms. We don't necessarily have details at the time that I'm recording this. We don't have all the details on this yet. So this may be different by the time this podcast comes out. So bear with me. But I do think regardless of where this nets out, this is a lesson in transparency for food brands and for consumers advocating for themselves. I think this is the world we live in now. We need to be comfortable speaking our truth on any and all social media platforms, but we also need to be conscious as as brands, for brands, we need to be conscious that consumers have this at their fingertips. And when something as serious as a foodborne illness is concerned, you know, we have seen this time and time again. We see it all the time. I just saw there was a strawberry recall the other day. I mean, produce, because it goes through traditional retailers and traditional chains, produce is recalled all the time. Voluntary recalls happen all the time. So when a privately held company does not come out at the front of this and say, hey, if you have the lentil product, don't eat it. It may cause harm to you. It may be unsafe. It may be a risk of foodborne illness, especially if you are immune compromised, right? I can only imagine like the fact that we have just spent the last three years thinking about the immune compromised and COVID risk, right? And now we hear about something that's like meal delivery service can't come out and just make a statement about this on their own social media platforms or on any social media platforms. You're basically making victims come to you. I have a problem with that. I think most people would, especially because I know someone who was affected by this possible foodborne illness, had all of the same symptoms, and was home alone with her three children. Uh, I mean, that's not okay, right? Like you are a food company, you provide nourishment for people, for human beings, and you, you've got to take those types of complaints really, really seriously. So I did not mean to end that on a downer note. What I think it it means for all of us is to consider transparency first, whether that is in our own personal relationships. I'm not here to guru you. I just think, you know, when it comes to food and health, transparency is the ultimate factor. People are informed now more than ever, which means that they have the ability to make choices that are right for them. You don't have to sell based on a virtue of health or well-being or, or quote unquote, wellness, right? You can sell with transparency and transparency is ultimately what cultivates a loyal customer, no matter what. It also is what has the best, the most promising longevity, both for personal health and well-being and also for establishing a long-term relationship with the customer. So I think it's something to look at. I think it's something people in this industry and for anyone who is running a business now could stand to think a little bit more about how can you cultivate a culture of transparency about and around food and health. All right, I'm gonna leave it there because I feel like it's a great question to end it on. I appreciate you guys sticking with me. I know this episode was a bit all over the place at times, but I so, so appreciate your support. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something and if you loved it, share it with me by writing, leaving a review, five stars, pretty please, as you know, love you the most. And I will see you next week. All right. You can reach me in the meantime, anytime at Jacqueline London RD on Instagram. I'll see you soon. 
Thanks so much for tuning in today to this episode of On the Side with Jackie London. If you enjoyed today's episode, please snap a screenshot of your podcast app on your phone, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag me at JacquelineLondonRD to let me know your favorite takeaway from any part of the episode. If you're loving the show, if there's a topic you'd love to hear more about or a guest you'd love to listen to here, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can scroll down on your podcast app to where it says ratings and reviews and rate this one five stars, of course, and share your feedback. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and start feeling more empowered and living better one meal or snack at a time. Of course, be sure to follow On The Side wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you won't miss out on any episodes. And remember to check us out. Check out the Q&A deep dive on the On The Side YouTube channel. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Keep in mind that any advice provided on this podcast is based off of my clinical judgment and application of research and practice as a registered dietitian, and it should not take the place of medical advice from your own personal physician. Until next time, cheers.